0: M S W Media. A big thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Music. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. Today, 14 children and one teacher are dead in yet another shooting, this time at Uvalde Elementary School in Texas. Five Republican candidates in Michigan are deemed ineligible to run because of fraud. Rona Graff has been subpoenaed by the New York Attorney General to testify. Rudy Giuliani stonewalls the January 6th committee, and three Republicans are arrested for ghost candidate schemes in Florida. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg.
1: Dana, this today is... This one got me, and they all do, but this one, uh, tears. I'm so fucking angry. I, I'm yeah. so tired of these Republicans. I'm sorry. I'm tired of the thoughts and prayers. I know for some people, they need those for certain times. This isn't the time. And and I tweeted it, I guarantee every. Parent that's going to lose a child this year from gun violence would rather they be in school learning about LGBTQ families than dead because Republicans won't do a fucking thing to protect them.
0: They won't. And this is on them. And Dana, four out of the five headlines I just read today are about the minority party, the Republicans cheating to steal power. And the other story reflects the outcome of that cheating, that stranglehold the minority party lies, cheats, and steals to maintain. 14 kids, 14, 14 students, second, third, and fourth graders. These are babies. There's now a 10-year-old in critical condition hanging on to life in the hospital right now. And a teacher, all dead, in Texas as a result of bought and paid for Republicans who continue to view these deaths as necessary sacrifices at the altar of an unfettered Second Amendment. And much of the money that funds this minority party comes from the NRA or adversaries funding the NRA, foreign adversaries. So I'm not sending up thoughts and prayers today. Uh, Instead, I am sending up a call to everyone to do everything they can to vote those out of office that would continue to protect the rights of firearms over the rights of the people. And later in the show, Dana, I'm going to be speaking with David Pepper. He's the author of the book, Laboratories of Autocracy. We're going to discuss the Republican takeover of state houses in order to throw out the will of the people and control the outcomes of elections so they can hang on to power to let this shit continue. Now, David and I recorded our interview prior to today's tragedy, so it won't be mentioned, but the message is relevant given the influence of special interest groups over politics. And I I want everyone to keep this. In the back of their minds as we discuss the news today, all of these stories about Republicans cheating to hang on to power and all the ways the minority party games the system to keep its knee on the necks of Americans. It's disgusting. And as saddened as I am about this news and continue this news that it happens almost daily, it just it stood out to me that all the other stories we're covering today are about fucking Republicans cheating to hold on to that power.
1: Absolutely. It's more important than ever that we get out there and we bring people with us and we do everything we can to keep the House and extend
0: our majority in the Senate. It's never been more important. 110 million Americans didn't feel it necessary to vote. You know, I can't get pregnant. I will not need an abortion. I am not black. I am not gay. I am not on the LGBT, I am not part of the LGBTQ plus community other than an ally. I I do not have children in school, but I go out and I vote for everyone who is and everyone who does. Absolutely. And I know everyone listening does. And I just don't understand how there are people out there who it's just not worth their time, I guess. makes me very angry. Indeed. Anyway, we do have this news to get to. And, and again, I want to keep it in the back of your heads, all of these stories of Republicans cheating to hang on to that power so they can keep the status quo and um, keep doing this, keep stripping us of our, our rights, our right to life, our, our constitutional rights, our rights to vote. It's disgusting. Sorry, I'm very angry today. <laughs> I, I'm glad you are. And um, I know that
1: our listeners are as well. So I know. Uh, we're glad you're here with us today. I know this is a tough one for a lot of people and uh, we just appreciate you listening and sticking with us because the news isn't going to wait and these stories are going to keep going and we want to make sure that we bring to light everything that is happening so you don't let anything fall to the wayside and continue to get fired up so that we have our foot on the gas in November and get this shit done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first Republican cheaters up today. Five of 10 Republican candidates for the gubernatorial nomination in Michigan are now ineligible to appear on the ballot because of invalid signatures in their nominating petitions. And that's according to the Michigan Elections Bureau in a report they released Monday, upending the race little more than two months before the August primary. Those the Elections Bureau said were ineligible include former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, businessman Perry Johnson, both who have been considered the leading candidates for the GOP nomination for Michigan governor. Theirs were Donna Brandenburg, Michael Brown, and Michael Markey. The Michigan Board of State Canvassers, made up of two Democrats, two Republicans, will meet Thursday morning to discuss the Election Bureau's report and rule on whether the candidates can appear on the August 2nd primary ballot. State investigators identified 36 people who circulated petitions, quote, who submitted fraudulent petition sheets consisting entirely of invalid signatures. And that's according to the Elections Bureau report published Monday night. In total, the Bureau estimates that these circulators submitted at least 68,000 invalid signatures submitted across 10 sets of nominating petitions. That's from the report. It goes on to say, in several instances, the number of invalid signatures submitted by these circulators was the reason a candidate had insufficient number of valid signatures. Gubernatorial candidates were required to collect at least 15,000 valid signatures to appear on a ballot. According to the Elections Bureau, Craig's campaign submitted 11,113 invalid signatures and only 10,192 facially valid ones, while Johnson's campaign submitted 9,300 or so invalid signatures and 13,800 facially valid ones, leaving both below the required threshold. The Bureau's investigation also found that Brandenburg's campaign submitted 11,144 invalid signatures and only 6,600 or so valid ones. Brown's campaign, 13,809 invalid signatures and about 7,000 valid ones. And Markey's campaign, 17,374 invalid signatures and only 4,400 valid ones. The Elections Bureau noted that this level of fraud, both in the number of invalid signatures submitted and the number of campaigns affected, is unprecedented. Some of the fraudulent petition sheets tended to show no evidence of normal wear or showed evidence of having been round-tabled, a practice in which each person in a group takes turns signing one line of a petition in an attempt to make the signatures appear authentic. The report comes as the former guy relentlessly perpetuates the debunked, baseless claim that widespread voter fraud cost him re-election in 2020. Thank you for that, AG.
1: And we are going to Seminole County. Republican Party Chair Ben Paris, political consultant Eric Fogelsong, and former independent candidate Justine Linati, they've been charged in a multi-count indictment alleging election fraud in the 2020 election in Senate District 9. Linati had run in the Senate District 9 election as an independent candidate in a contest that critics had alleged was quote, ghost candidate maneuver intended to draw votes away from Democratic candidate Patricia Sigmund to aid the election of Republican Jason Brodeur. And he won. Now, 12 total charges came down through indictments sought by the state attorney for Florida's 18th Judicial Circuit after Florida Department of Law Enforcement, otherwise the FDLE, their investigation. The investigation began in July of 2021 after J.C. 18 state attorney Phil Archer requested that the FDLE look into this election. Now, in a news release, the FDLE said Lenati illegally accepted a $1,200 cash donation from Fogelsang in support of her candidacy. The FDLE release said that agents found Linati and Fogelsang falsely used the names of other individuals as contributors in official campaign finance documents. Now, the release also reported that agents said that Paris provided the name and address of one of the individuals. And this is a quote. Elections are the cornerstone of our democracy, and we must do everything we can to ensure that they are fair and transparent. That's from FDLE acting commissioner Mark Glass. And that's what Mark said in a statement. He went on to say, protecting the integrity of our elections is a top priority in Florida, and that includes making sure candidates follow the laws. You're going to have your fucking work cut out for you, Mark. That's for sure in this election cycle. In a news release from his office, Archer said, quote, some NPA candidates, commonly referred to as ghost candidates, they've been used by political parties as a way to close elections or siphon off votes. While non-illegal per se, many have questioned the ethics of the practice, and they fucking should. It's unethical. Continue on with the quote. However, when the candidate and the partisan political operatives involved violate election finance laws by illegally funding those races and filing false reports, it is the responsibility of government to act. And Archer added, today's actions represent our commitment to ensuring the integrity of Florida's election process and holding those who violate state campaign laws accountable. Now, the state attorney's office said that attorneys for the three defendants have agreed to surrender voluntarily to answer the charges, but specific details were not immediately available. The, quote, ghost candidate scandal, which includes efforts to use independent candidates to siphon off Democratic votes in South Florida races in 2020 as well, has led to criminal charges we know this in south florida including a former republican senator frank artiles and various resignations from various consulting firms we know that those are all connected matt was involved in this shit like it's a mess down in florida so i'm glad at least they're catching they're catching these people
0: yeah and here's the sad part it's not the ghost candidacy that's illegal right. it's the campaign do- the illegal campaign donations that that are getting them yeah Next up, Donald Trump's one time attorney, Rudy, testified to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack at length on Friday. We know almost nine hours and Hugo Lowell hinted at this a little bit in, in yesterday's show, and he has the full story out this morning. I recommend you read it. There's a lot in it. It's, uh, you can find it in The Guardian and on Hugo Lowell's Twitter feed. But Rudy declined to discuss the involvement of congressional Republicans in efforts to overturn the 2020 election result. That's according to sources familiar with the testimony. The move by Giuliani to refuse to give insight into Republican involvement could mean his appearance only marginally advanced the inquiry into his ploy to have the then-Vice President Mike Pence unlawfully keep Trump in office after he lost to Joe Biden. However, he did potentially pique the committee's interest by discussing two notable meetings at the White House involving Trump that took place just weeks before the insurrection. Giuliani did assert privilege and work product doctrine privilege to decline to respond when asked to detail the roles played by House and Senate Republicans in the scheme to stop Congress's certification of Biden's victory. The panel was not expecting Giuliani to divulge damning information against Trump since committee counsel had agreed with Giuliani in advance that he should not have to violate legitimate claims of privilege he might have as a former president's attorney. But Giuliani's refusal to engage with questions about the House and Senate Republicans frustrated committee members, according to sources, not least because Giuliani personally urged them to object to Biden's victory to delay certification. That was all part of the coup. One thing that the former president's attorney did discuss, though, at length, was a contentious Oval Office meeting on December 18th, when uh, former Trump campaign lawyer and conspiracy theorist Sidney Powell lobbied Donald to authorize the seizure of voting machines and appoint her special counsel to investigate election fraud. The former president did not advance Powell's proposal. And the Guardian previously reported this after Giuliani cut off her access to Donald and instead proposed a separate White House meeting with congressional Republicans on December 21st to have Pence help return Trump to office. Giuliani spent the remainder of the virtual deposition conducted by investigative counsel and the select committee members Peter Aguilar, Jamie Raskin and Zoe Lofgren. He spent the rest of the time arguing about debunked claims of election fraud which underpinned Trump's allies' push to return him to power. All
1: right, A.G., thank you very much. Now, New York's attorney general's office, it subpoenaed Donald Trump's longtime personal gatekeeper as part of its probe into the Trump organization. Rona Graf, who worked as a personal assistant to Trump between 1987 and 2021, she's going to be questioned under oath about the former president's involvement in the preparation of annual financial statements that are being scrutinized during the investigation. News of Graf's upcoming deposition on May 31st, this is right down the corner, was revealed in court papers filed by Attorney General Letitia James's office that opposed the former guy's efforts to scrub a costly contempt of court order for failing to meet a deadline to respond to a subpoena for documents and other evidence. Now, special litigation counsel Andrew Amer wrote in last filings that James's office wants to grill Graf under oath to find out more details about the former guy's financial statements, see if they were handled, how they were handled than she had divulged in a previous affidavit. So she gave an affidavit, but they want her to do this under oath now to see if she was actually telling the truth or
0: giving all the information. Yeah. Yeah. They see the affidavit and they're like, we have more questions. I've got a few more questions. All right. So that's what's going on in the news today. We will be right back with the author of Laboratories of Autocracy. His name is David Pepper. You've seen his whiteboard videos on on Twitter. You definitely want to want to hear this. And uh, that will be right after the break. So stay with us.
2: Hey,
0: everybody, if you're like me, you are always looking for little things you can do to get big results. And that is why I started taking Athletic Greens AG1 every day. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, everything you need to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, which is really big for me, your focus, and your aging. All the things it covers. I love the taste, too. It's delicious. And I love how easy it fits in with my very busy schedule because I used to have to take a million different supplements and pills. It took up an entire cabinet uh, worth of stuff that I, I would take for my supplements every day. And now this is just one delicious scoop of AG1 it's a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself and it's easy to add to your daily habits. The results are totally worth it. And it's a great value. Taking all those other supplements can be a hassle and very expensive, but Athletic Greens costs less than $3 a day, which is an excellent investment in your health. And we wanna thank Athletic Greens for their support. And they are offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. It is time to reclaim your health, fill those gaps in your nutrition, arm your immune system with convenient daily deliciousness, uh, especially heading into cold and flu season. And it's just one scoop in a cup of water every morning. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. So to make it easy, again, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com dailybeans Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm honored to be joined by the former chair of the Ohio Democratic Party and author of the latest book, Nonfiction, Laboratories of Autocracy, A Wake-Up Call from Behind the Lines. Please welcome David Pepper. Hello, David.
2: Hey there. How are you?
0: I'm doing well today. Thank you. And uh, I, I'm really glad that you're joining us because- I think right now the number one key question of our time is not just how to preserve democracy globally with what's going on over in Europe, but also here at home. And, and I've, I've brought this up several times on the show because I feel like what the reason that Putin has been able to remain in office for so long is because he successfully pulled off what Trump and some Republicans tried to do on January 6th and in the months leading up to January 6th. And I think they were poised to do it in 2016 as well. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, your latest book, because it's not just about autocratic creep or the risk to our democracy here at home, but it's also about, because that would just, if it was just that, it would be, it would be very depressing. It's like a It'd be like three nuts. Have you seen this? It's the peanuts cartoons, but they take away the last frame. And so it's just this everything ends in an existential crisis. But at the end, you try to tell us and you express some views about how we can fight back here at home. Right. So talk a little bit about what prompted you to write this book, because I know you do a lot of political thrillers too.
2: Right. You know, it's funny. So I was chair of the party, I've written these fiction books. I had no intention. I actually have a new novel coming out in a few months. I had no intention last year of writing a book. But by about March or April, just watching the attacks on democracy around the country, not just voting rights is how we usually think about it, but, uh, how, you know, protest, regulation and criminalizing of protest, the beginning of the censorship uh, uh, wave, which is now exploding even more, you know, and you, you let off with the same way I thought about it. If we saw the sequence of events happening in states in our country, in another country, We'd actually see it more clearly as an outright attack on democracy. But I think in our own country, you know, if, if it happens in Hungary, we see it for what it is. If it happened, you know, it happened, as you said, in Russia years before, we see that as a broader attack on democracy. But in our own country, we're much more, you know, blinded by sort of a an optimism that we're always a democracy and, and we have been, we will be. And it's almost too close to home. So we don't see that. It's happening in Ohio and Tennessee and Wisconsin and Florida, not just one or two things, not just voting suppression, which is bad enough. But but, you know, multiple steps in a row that go after some of the the key sort of, uh, you know, pillars that undergird our democracy. And so as I watched it, it didn't really see it being thought about in that way. I just started myself. It started out as a couple of tweets that I, I didn't send them. Then I thought maybe an op-ed and I just kept writing and all of a sudden I had a book. And, and you know, I, I use a lot of Ohio as sort of the it's almost like a what's the matter with Kansas style book. But it's it's Ohio and it's about democracy. But I also get to a whole lot of other states because what we're seeing around the country, uh, Ohio, we we often are a, a bellwether. Well, We're a bellwether like this, too. And all around the country, we're seeing these very aggressive attacks on democracy below the radar. And I think. Too few people see them for what they are. And until we see it for what it is, we won't be effective in fighting back.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the main components of, of this recent coup that we experienced here, a coup attempt in, in the United States, in the United States, which is it's, it's bizarre for that I'm saying that one of the major components of that was to put forward those false slates of electors for state legislatures to absolutely ignore the will of the people and just decide on their own. And, the, you know, they were told, hey, that's illegal. And, you know, we were sort of positing. Gosh, what could happen in this election if neither candidate reaches 270 in electoral votes? It would be thrown to the House of Representatives and the de- state delegations would vote. And there are more Republican delegations than Democratic delegations. And that could lead to Trump being elected o- outside of the will of the people. And we thought, oh, you would be absolutely bananas in your state if you threw out the will of the voters and just said, well, you know, we're going to decide on our own what's best for you. And that's actually what's happening, uh, you know, aside from, like you said, the typical voter suppression laws that they're making laws now that give those legislatures the power to make that call. And I have I and that that to me is 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 frankly terrifying. And it's it's a way to rig elections and ignore the will of the people. How do we fight back
2: against that? Well, one thing it's they've already been ignoring the will of the people year after year. I go through it in the book, you know. We saw Democrats. So they were really you know, aggressive on voter suppression in the beginning of last decade. Everything is an extension of the prior decade. This is not because of the big lie. It, it's all been going on. At first, they simply attacked the voters of the other side. But then in, o- in, in 2016, 2018, Democrats won governorships in North Carolina, in Michigan, in Wisconsin. They won attorney general offices. These rigged state houses that in some states like Michigan, and Wisconsin, were actually not even the majority will. They only stayed in power because of gerrymandering. They, on losing these statewide offices, they immediately began attacking the powers of the winning Democratic governors. So I remember. they were already attacking the will of people. Then another phase, literally constitutional amendments, statewide referenda voted directly by the people of these states. They simply would ignore them. You know, in Missouri, they they voted for Medicaid expansion. The state house simply didn't fund it. In Florida, they, they, they tried to change it through the voters that felons could actually vote. They immediately went to war with that. So these are people who have largely been in, Democrat, in districts that are not Democratic in the first place, who already have a pattern of completely ignoring the will of their voters. So asking them to do that in one other, in one other way, it happens to be the presidency, isn't that different from what they've already been doing? And, and one of the other things, not to keep going the negative before I talk about what we do about it, They're always learning from the past. And the the term laboratories is not just some cute catchphrase. They are operating as laboratories all around the country. All these states are trying things in parallel. When something works, the other states model off of it. We're seeing that don't say gay law that passed in Florida now coming to Ohio and other states. And when they fail, they always learn from their failure. And I believe that that's happening right now when it comes to January 6th, as you just described. They know the January sixth. I mean, you see it even in the texts that were released today. They know it was a you know a, a really uh, horrific look to charge a building illegally and use that to change the outcome. They know that that's not going to look legitimate. So what are they doing? They're learning from that and thinking, well, we'll just take care of the electoral college problem before it ever gets to that. We'll solve it through state houses. The next time, it won't take storming a building. We'll have taken care of it long before. And that's obviously what, what you know, we're seeing happen now. So they, they, whenever they lose, like they lost to Obama, they lost to Biden, they always figure out why did they lose? And the next time around, they plan so they don't. And yeah, that's the worry here. Um, there, there is no obvious short-term solution. What I try and do in my book is go through all the ways that we have to reorient our politics to be about democracy itself. And in a core of that is their battle against democracy starts in states, and it starts in these anonymous state houses that very few people pay attention to. They love that we spend every day talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and uh, Cawthorn, because those people are in the minority. They're just talking. But there are hundreds of people just like them in a state house in the majority, in the majority passing laws. So. I go through all sorts of steps on what we can do, but it starts with really going to where democracy is shaped, which is the state house and state level politics, bringing a lot more attention to it, running a lot more aggressively in every district in these places, try to shore up the media so these places get more coverage, holding much more, bringing much more accountability to bear. The key to their whole system in states is no accountability whatsoever. What they, they have created a system so that they're now accountable at the ballot box. They're rarely accountable in, at, 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 if they break laws. And so the book goes through all these ways, shorter and especially longer term. We have to you know get our battle to the state house, which is where their battle is. Um, I, I think on the specific question, I mean, we have to be very aggressive lawyers and others making the point that these arguments they're making are absurd. I mean, The the John Eastman argument that that, and the others that are pushing that they can just switch out one set of electors for the preferred electors is, you know, it's the legal equivalent of January 6th, meaning an illegal coup. And I think on that specific argument in our states and in courthouses, we just have to be incredibly aggressive that that's what it is. There's no difference between that and January 6th. They're just dressing it up nicely in legal documents. But the broader battle is even more important long term that we we start getting out of our federal short cycle mentality and get to the much broader battle happening in states across the country.
0: Yeah. And, and most experts I talk to say that that's where it begins. It begins locally and, uh, you know, all the way down to your city council, up to your state legislatures and assemblies and also addressing the the boiling frog thing, right? You talk about the laboratories. They they try something, they fail, they learn from it, they try it again, they make changes, and that is what sort of the creep part of autocratic creep is. And we sort of don't notice it happening. I'll never forget. I was watching the show The Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. and you know you're in this dystopian future, and you're thinking, how in the hell could anything possibly get to this point? Right. And then they start showing flashbacks of the before times where she comes home and says you know, this is a new weird thing. I have to get your signature, husband. I have to get your signature on my birth control right. medication. And it's these little incremental changes that we don't notice until we look back <laughs> from where we are and say, holy hell, how did we get here? Yeah. But, you know, there's just these little things for the RNC not having a platform in 2020, pulling out of the debates because it's not about their ideas anymore. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question for you is, we need to you know get out of this federal cycle mentality of of the you know the national races, those of us in blue states, you know I live in california i i am I work hard here at local politics, but you know we're we're talking about the difference between being progressive and super progressive right What can people in blue states who don't really need to do anything about their local legislatures and assemblies what can they do? What can we do right. to help preserve democracy in other states? That, you know, because that that's what we focus on or the national race.
2: So I don't I want to win every federal race we can. So obviously, to the extent there's some interest in helping make sure that we win a a federal, you know, Senate district here, Tim Ryan or something, that's important. But what I would say, one of the most innovative things I'm seeing, and it's a group called the States Project. And they've created these um, they create teams of people in different and largely blue states that they call giving circles. And these groups, and it's a really impressive model, they adopt a state. And they say, we're going to raise X amount of money to give to the five or six or seven candidates in that state who could flip that legislature from red to blue. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is we have to go to long game strategies that we're doing year in, year out. And this is one of them. You may not win that next time. It may be a bad cycle for other reasons, but keep giving, keep giving. Here's an example. A bunch of these states aren't far from having Democratic majorities in their statehouse, which in once you see this as a battle democracy, nothing is more important than that. That's more important than a single congressional seat for the most part. Arizona, where they had that all that fake audit stuff, they are two seats in a majority. Democrats are. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of people in California and Washington state I've met are adopting Arizona, and they are raising money to go to the majority makers, the six or seven candidates in Arizona. If three of them win, they flip that state blue. And I can tell you, having been a state party chair, many of these candidates are the ones who are the tenth call returned by that big donor after Joe Biden or, you know, a U.S. Senator or even a Congress member, maybe even the mayor. This is the candidate that gets the last call returned and maybe gets the smallest amount of money. So when a group from another state says, we are adopting your state and we are adopting six of you and you're going to get a lot more support, it's a huge difference for those people. So that's one way. And, and you know, if people are interested in that. You know, it, it, again, it's called the state's project. And they, they literally will say to you, OK, you got 30 or 40 people, start organizing, We'll give you the states that are most in play and you pick the one you want. One other way people can help, by the way, and this is another thing I, I put in the book. It is a disaster that in states across this country, we leave dozens of districts uncontested, completely uncontested. And then we leave many others so underfunded, that candidate, they might as well be uncontested. So what too often happens is in California, We're not telling donors or, and I don't mean, when I say donors, I mean people giving five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or 10 bucks at all. All we say to them is, or all they know is, well, I hate Mitch McConnell. So I'm going to give to his opponent and that person gets a hundred million dollars. And then in states like Ohio, we leave 20 or 30 districts uncontested or with a thousand bucks each. And the damage done to our overall pro-democracy effort, When you leave dozens of little autocrats in state houses without an opponent, and that entire district therefore is unaware that the state house is even doing anything, which only contributes to that state house attacking democracy with no accountability, it also pulls turnout down. The damage of leaving dozens of districts uncontested is enormous. And we have to start, again, California, other blue areas, don't just give to that to beat the the senator you know you hate to the tune of $100 million in small dollars, figure out ways, and I'm trying to work with other groups to do this, that we can harness that pro-democracy energy so we can say the same amount of money, if you and everyone else give it, can ensure that we have a well-funded candidate in every district in the state like Ohio or Florida, or wouldn't that be great for Stacey Abrams if she had that in Georgia? So we've got to, there's sort of the strategic helping of certain swing candidates, but then the broader need, the money's out there when we get excited but too often we get excited about the wrong things and we don't see the bigger playing field of democracy, which should tell us you got to help a lot more people on the ground level as opposed to the just simply trying to beat Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, which is where all the money ends up going.
0: Yeah. And I would love to see the DNC, or the DCCC, maybe redistribute some of those funds, because at some point, yeah, Amy McGrath, you're you know what you're. Campaign is saturated. You cannot possibly spend any more money. Let's redistribute it to to some of these other districts. Uh, That would be a a wonderful thing.
2: But I think part of the, I never can fault someone for raising a lot of money themselves. That is a fault of the broader atmosphere that we haven't said to all those people who who are looking for what to get excited about. We have to send, and this is why I wrote the book and I try and get it spread as much as I can. We need to have that donor, that five or $10 person, see that an investment in democracy is actually you know, uh, better done if it's to a broader base of people in all these states. And I just don't think we've communicated that and there aren't the mechanisms to make that happen that there need to be. And that's what we're working to build that now. Great. But yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time today. It's been really great to talk to you. The, the book is out now. It's called Laboratories of Autocracy, a wake-up call from behind the lines. And you have a new book coming out called A Simple Choice, and that'll be coming out I this do. year. Where can people find and follow you and your work?
2: So I'm at Twitter at David Pepper. And uh, for those of you who who like this stuff, every couple days I'll do a whiteboard that explains a lot of what's going on, whether it's districting or whether it's suppression or what we can all do about it. Now, I do try and get to as much solutions as we just talked about as possible, because I think people are just hungry to know what they can do. So the, at David Pepper, I did create a, a, a YouTube account, David Pepper for Ohio, the number four Ohio. You can, if you want to, you know, you can obviously get my books on Amazon. You could also go to any independent bookstore and ask for them or go to some of the websites to do that. Uh, I also have a website, laboratoriesofautocracy.com. Um, but, you uh, know, I'm going to, I'm beginning to work on a book. I, so one of the things I've heard so much of my book is, hey, I got your book. It's really compelling. But I skipped to the end because I wanted to get to solutions. Now, I want people to, I don't think we're going to be productive until we reframe the entire battle. And that's what the book tries to do. But yes, in the final quarter of the book, I go through all these concrete things that everyone can do. And one of my fundamental beliefs is we can all do so much more to lift democracy than we realize. It's not just joining the political group in the neighborhood, although that's important. It's if you're, if you're on the board of a homeless shelter, is your homeless shelter registering voters? If they aren't, ask them to. If you know the mayor is the mayor of your city using every part of that city's footprint to register voters or to push early vote, they should be. Uh, so my part of my philosophy in this book is, if we're gonna scale up the battle for democracy to equal the scale of the battle against democracy, We've got to incorporate that battle into our own lives, into the bloodstream of what we do every single day, far more than we do. And so not only does the book I've already written do this, I'm going to I'm writing another one now that's basically only about that, because I just think, you know, here's a little example. Sherrod Brown, when he was secretary of state here, he convinced McDonald's to have on every tray in Ohio, a voter registration form. Do you run a restaurant or work at one or have a friend who does? Are you doing that? Because you could be. We have to all bring, we need to incorporate this far more than we do. I mean, one of the points of the book is the other side is a big head start. They have been attacking democracy and states for a generation. We still aren't anywhere n- near we need to be. If we're going to fight back, it's got to be that everyone is fighting back. We're not only waiting for Stacey Abrams to save us or Michelle Obama They were all playing a role, so I try and go through that in in both this book and a future one I'll be writing.
0: Yeah, no, no one person can save us, and and that's what that's what uh, autocrats—that's what they peddle. All right, thank you so much, and we'll we'll talk again soon as as the midterms approach. Uh, I appreciate your time again. Everybody, grab the book, "Laboratories of Autocracy: A Wake Up Call from Behind the Lines." David Pepper, thanks for being with me
2: today. Thanks, Allison. Thanks for all you're doing.
0: Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. When you have a difficult time sleeping, you don't have the energy for anything else. I used to toss and turn every night. I woke up feeling sore and it wrecked my day. But luckily, Helix Sleep came to my rescue. Helix Sleep has an easy online two-minute sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way that you sleep. They have different mattresses to choose from, soft, medium, and firm. Mattresses is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. They even have a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. When I took the quiz, I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm bed. So it's perfect for me and it's drastically improved my sleep. I love it. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress you're matched to. The mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. As you know, Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine, and they've been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Just head to helixsleep.com dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best night's sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights with no risk. Helix will come and pick it up if you don't love it, but you will. And they have financing options available. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders right now and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. And as you know, as much as I love my Helix mattress, Helix has now moved out into the rest of the house with a brand new company called Allform. They make premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. Allform has made it incredibly easy to customize a sofa using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You pick your fabric, the color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and the shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home and your family. Uh, They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight seat sectionals. You can always start small and buy more seats later if you want Allform's sofa to grow and change when you move. All form sofas are also delivered right to your home with fast, free shipping. It takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools necessary. Uh, The one I chose was a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather with walnut leg finish. It was easy to put together. It looks great. It's so comfortable and it's amazing. I love it. And you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they will come and pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And they also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, Head to allform.com slash dailybeans. And right now Allform is offering twenty percent off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Or near good news good news and we need the good news today very and, uh, much so so thank you for everyone who sent submissions and my goodness yeah and if you have any good news please please now is the time send it into us dailybeanspod.com click on contact i love reading your good news submissions and also if uh you want to keep getting the beans in your feed you want to make sure you're not following our duplicate show which you don't know if you're following or not you just have to make sure to uh follow and subscribe to a uh, the correct beans feed. And the way that you do that is by going to, if you. and this is only if you listen on Apple Podcasts and if you aren't a patron. If you're a patron or supercaster, ignore me. But if you listen on Apple and you're not a patron and you want to continue to get the beans, please go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase. That is the show you want to follow. That's apple.co slash beans, all lowercase. So again, I'm going to be talking about that up until we archive that old show in about a week and a half. So if you all of a sudden don't have the show anymore, it's because you need to go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase, and follow the right one. It's mystery of Apple. I don't know. <laughs> all right. First up from uh, Julia Durgey Hello, Beans Queens. I have amazing news to share. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has, is it Hochul? Hochul. I actually am not sure on this one. So I'm happy to get corrected because I, I don't know. I thought it was Hokel. I think it's Hochul. She just signed the New York State Adult Survivors Act into law. This law will grant adult victims of abuse living in New York a one-year window to pursue civil litigation against their abusers or institution responsible for the abuse, despite long-expired statutes of limitations for the crime. In 2019, the Child's Victim Act allowed victims a a similar path to justice, but the, the crime must have been committed when the victim was 17 or younger, which excluded a lot of victims. 11,000 cases were brought forward under the Child Victims Act. Wow, 11,000 under the Child Victims Act. Uh, As you are well aware, victims of assault take years or decades to process what happened to them. Yes, indeed. At any age, rendering standard statutes of limitations harmful. Uh, Hashtag trauma takes time. Yes, it does. If you were abused as an adult, New Yorkers, please consider learning more about this new law as it is time-sensitive You only have a year. The advocacy group SafeHorizon.org will be raising awareness across the state and will provide advice on lawyering up. Allison, if my name sounds familiar, it's because I did the live drawing at your MSW Boston show with Greg Oliar in 2019. I'm a proud kitchen dayer. This podcast has absolutely been fueling my advocacy work as well as inspiring me to create new graphics, which I've attached. No pod pets, sorry. I hope this news inspires other states to pass their own versions of this bill. I will be humming modest mouse all day. Thank you and congratulations on your network and recent op-ed. Julie, yes. Julie, I remember that was such a fun time and it was so amazing.
1: One of my friends is in this picture. I'm not going to name her on the the, uh, podcast, but it's
0: really fun to see her. Look at this. Hmm. It's awesome. Thank you so much for your advocacy. Absolutely. Really, seriously. And yeah, we're going to have to uh, post that, f- that picture that you drew again. That was so amazing what you did live for us in Boston. Boston. Oh got good people. Good people. All right. This is from Kel's pronouns. She and her.
1: Hey, G and DG. Thanks for keeping me and my husband informed daily on the twisted shit going on in this country while still making us laugh. Here are too many Aussies, brother and sister, about nine months apart. They enjoy barking at men, so at least I know if a Matt Gates type came near me, I'd be protected. Thanks again for all you do. Vote blue over Q. And I have a feeling Kels might be married to our very intelligent, I think, Jim, right, James?
0: Look at this. Uh, oh, I love these They
1: colors. really are cute. I'm glad they're both doing so well. God, that puppy is adorable.
0: <laughs> Look at the last blep with the side eye. Oh, I know. God. And the little tongue. Uh, Bloop. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for these photos. They made my day. Next up from Chris in Portland, PDX. Pronoun she and her. Just a quick note to share. A couple days ago, I took a picture that feels like a twin to one from yesterday's pod. I've been feeding the crows and squirrels unsalted, unshelled peanuts. So they they come to me like I'm an urban Snow White. (laughs) And my squirrel friend, Snacky, good name, likes to grab one from the lawn and bring it up to the porch where he can leave the shells all around and hang out with the cats. I can't tell if he's taunting them or if he thinks they're all just one big brunch club. Can you spot Snacky? Baba Moose and Tennant sure did. Oh, my God, twins. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Remember the picture we got yesterday? I do. <laughs> it's the same fucking thing. It's awesome. So great. Oh, Chris, thank you for that.
1: All right. Um, and this is from Anonymous, pronouncing him. Hello, AG and Dana. You two have become an amazing team. Thank you very much, Anonymous. High five. My home office window overlooks some grass and during dusk time, the local birds and squirrels come and peck around for food. Maybe it's too much pandemic home alone time, but I started caw-cawing <laughs> chitter and chittering when they get close as well as sprinkling some unsalted nuts around my window. It's this thing now? I love it. Don't know if this qualifies as good news. It sure the hell does. Yes. And not exactly a pet, but taxes must be paid. Check out my new little friend. Who needs a name? Suggestions are welcome.
0: Love you, ladies. Take care. All right. Well, we have Snacky up there. So why don't we call this one Nutty? Oh, my God. There you go. Oh my. god. That tail is all frazzled. Whoosh. I love it. Awesome! Thank you, you
1: seen that video going around where that uh, handsome black guy is trying to get a squirrel to to eat, and he goes Richard, <laughs> and the squirrel turns around <laughs> and comes over to him. Yeah, maybe we should call him
0: Richard. <laughs> Richard's good. That's a good name. Oh my god! All right, thanks for that. Next up, anonymous pronouns he and him. Hey, it's wild New York. How you doing? That's for you, Dana. A spring migration is winding down, which is sad, but there is amazing birding news still coming. Christian Cooper. Yes. Oh, this is such a great story. Who you may all remember from his encounter with Karen in Central Park all the way back in May of twenty twenty. He was remember he was bird watching and she Karen called him. Yep. The cops on him. He's been continuing to make the most out of that horrific experience. In addition to spearheading the creation of hashtag BlackBirders Week to celebrate amateur and professional black wildlife lovers and his online comic. Christian is getting his own show on National Geographic, Extraordinary Birder. I've run into him a time or two in the park, and aside from being incredibly handsome, he's one of the kindest and most knowledgeable birders I've ever met. I hope everyone tunes in for what's certain to be an astounding look at our feathered friends after they finish binging our show, Wild New York, on YouTube. Wink, wink. Attached are a couple of my favorite burbs from this year, Spring Migration, and you can always see more on our Instagram and Twitter. This is a magnolia warbler, northern perula, and prothonotary. Okay. Uh, Oh, a prothonotary warbler. Excuse me. Excuse me very much. Oh, my God. Look at the second bird. (laughs) This bird is me. (laughs) This bird is me after brunch. Oh, my God. Wow, these are beautiful.
1: They are so good. Oh. It is so nice. Congratulations to Christian Cooper. That's so cool. It's also so nice to have this palate cleanser. This is why AG does this. This is why she
0: created this segment. So thank you. (sighs) Yeah. So if you have any good news, please, please, I implore you. Good news. Please send it and make it up. I don't care make it <laughs> i know shit just let's make up a, a good tr- news let's a- story
1: let's manifest some shit you might as well at this point <laughs> let's have a
0: truth or lie good news contest oh my <laughs> Jesus, god a good news story to guess if it's true
1: you know who's really good at stuff like this is our producer Kenai. every I once know. in a while there'll be a story in there and i'm like this is amazing and we find out it actually happened to him yeah. or he's just, <laughs> and it's just sharing it it's, i love it
0: yeah he's so great so um, another cool uh, piece of good news. I'm going to be joined, Dana, by Danica Rome yes. on Friday and her new book, Burn the Page. We're going to talk about that. She's just absolutely incredible to talk to. One of my favorite people. So uh, um, I hope everyone tunes in on Friday for that as well. I love it. All right. Sorry, I, did, I should cut you off. With- no,
1: not at all. I, I really, I'm, it's okay. I'm not going to have any final thoughts that are worth anything today. I'm, I'm just going to go try and do some self-care. And I suggest that the rest of the listeners do the same.
0: That sounded like a great final thought to me. So yeah. we'll just leave it at that. Everybody, will be back tomorrow. Until then, please, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane